Welcome everyone to our featured podcast on thought leadership with Dr. Ray McKinley. Dr. McKinley is an expert on leadership and character development. Let's join the conversation now. Hi everyone, this is Ray McKinley. Welcome to Ride the Elephant Today, our weekly podcast. Looking forward to having a conversation with Brian on a follow-up to some of our previous conversations around critically thinking kind of a missing piece in our academia today and in our social narrative. So we started to have that conversation last week. Say hi to everyone, Brian. Hi, good to be back. Yeah. So let's kind of set the stage of this discussion we want to kind of get into today. And one of the things that we really struggle with sometimes is critically thinking we have a tendency to kind of go along with what we've always done. We have a kind of a tendency to follow along with what other people expect of us. And basically we find ourselves in situations where conformity might be the easiest way to live life and to move along. And last we talked about how important it was for us to look at critically thinking as we process Bloom's taxonomy, which is basically to remember to analyze, to apply, to evaluate, and create. And when we talked about that, Brian, we were talking about creating some new core beliefs that we might have, and it's a choice that we make. I like to talk about this in the context of red thinking and blue thinking. For the lack of a better term, I like to say red thinkers think a certain way, and if we're going to consider that we will always want to think that way, or do we want to start being more of a blue thinker, which is maybe the higher level of critically thinking in our processing and in our mindset as we think about things and analyze, evaluate, and create what we believe and what we think about and what we say. So I want to have you weigh in on some observations I have made about what I call red thinkers. So when I say a red thinker will canvas the opinion of others, what does that mean to you? I think you're meaning that a red thinker needs to make sure that the choice that they're about to make is cool with their peers and the people who they want the approval of. Approval being a red behavior versus having a blue behavior, total unconditional acceptance that approval causes them to seek the opinions of others to make sure that others will approve of the choice. Would you say that there's a desire to conform to the will of others? And how often do you see that in your relationships, in your peer groups, and in the people that you know and you associate with? How often do you see their intention is to conform to the will of others? Um, this is a personality thing from what I've gathered. Unless you were coached out of your personality, then you're kind of either more of a conformist or you're more of a rebel, if you will. And I'm kind of a rebel in certain circles, but I'm mostly a conformist. I think being kind of a younger middle child in my family I conform to what everybody else is doing, typically. 
because I don't want to cause too much stress or disruption or anything like that or get left behind. Yeah. And how much does that stifle your critically thinking if you find yourself just trying to go along with what everyone else is doing and fitting in? Uh, How much does that prevent us from maybe really critically thinking it through and maybe analyzing a different response that we could have? Well, can critical thinking be a private matter? In other words, can you conform in a general sense and then critically think in your alone time afterwards? Oh, you bring up a great point. And I think the first word that comes to my mind when you say that is a tension that exists in us when we do exactly what you just said. When we find ourselves needing to conform to the will of others and we find ourselves critically thinking and maybe almost regretting that we're conforming or wondering why we're conforming, we sometimes will have these emotive feelings that come out of this tension between what we really would like to do as we critically think it through and what we really find ourselves having to do because we're just conforming to the will of others. So I call that a tension between what I call the three decision makers of the brain. Are you saying tension? A tension, not attention, a stressor in our mindset that exists because we think, first of all, about what we feel we should do. Then we think about in terms of what we really like to do. And then we have this tension that exists between. And as we go to our prefrontal cortex and start thinking about it a lot, we might critically think about wanting to do something different or maybe being mad afterwards because we just went along with somebody and we just knew better and we knew we really wanted it to be different, but we just went along with what others wanted us to do. And that creates a tension that exists in us. Do you see that occur? (laughs) This is the story of my life. I regret it either way. I find myself often in a catch-22 position where in my critical thinking after the fact, if I conform, I regret it. But then I also tend to regret a conformity because I find that when I don't conform, it really upsets people. So I regret it either way. That's an interesting duality that you express. Yeah, people get really mad when you try to Mm -hmm. push back or when you try to be independent or when you try and play your trump card or when you really stand your ground on something. If you really have a strong opinion and you really stand your ground on it, that upsets people. So I find that I often regret it either way. I'm often conforming to try and preserve the peace. And when I'm a conformist, I find that people get inordinately upset and neither is worth it. I think what a lot of people do is they will do and say what will please others so they can avoid that conflict. So red thinkers have a tendency to not necessarily critically think something through. They just think, okay, what's going to please others right now? So I'm going to do what I think pleases others instead of really critically thinking it through. So the desire to please others, I think, stifles our ability to critically think things through sometimes. Yeah. 
And I think that, and this is probably true for a lot of us, the only time that I don't feel that regret when I ruffle somebody's feathers by kind of going against the grain or being a little bit disagreeable is when we have a pre-arranged agreement about my role so that all I have to do in the moment is say, hey, you know, you brought me on here to play this role, so let that trust continue. And that usually is met with agreeableness. Only in situations when it's been pre-arranged that I am in a position and I'm just saying, hey, this is my position, let me do it, and people usually don't get too perturbed by that. But in all other social or interpersonal interactions, I tend to just conform. Yeah, interesting. You know, again, you're bringing up the agreement-based relationship versus the non-agreement-based relationship. The agreement-based relationship, setting those boundaries, setting the parameters in which you're going to have this interaction. And as long as everything stays within that, you have made a decision ahead of time that you're going to do that. So you just kind of move into that role. I think that's pretty normal. You know, I know I do the same. But however, if it's a non-agreement-based relationship, sometimes that tension will exist in those situations. You know, another thing I think, and this ties into it a little bit, red thinkers, they won't think out of the box. They're going to habitually do what they've always have done because it's worked for them and it's safer to them and it creates less conflict for them. And since they've done it before, they don't necessarily fall into that feeling of stress and tension that comes when they start trying to do something different. So what are your thoughts about habitually doing what we've always done? Well, you know, you want to live your best life. So if you've got habits of conformity that are not serving you, then it behooves you in the interest of living your best life to get away from those things that aren't serving you. I don't know if I could come up with any solutions right on the spot here, but it just seems that it seems easier to just conform and go along with. And critically thinking is hard and it's uncomfortable. So... Yeah, I think the bottom line of that is living the examined life. Do we just live our life and not examine it? Do we just do what we always have done? Or do we step back and examine it? Do we analyze and reevaluate it and say, are we really getting the outcomes we want right now? And then start thinking of ways to make it different. And that's where critically thinking comes through. This is what we're talking about. Red thinkers have a tendency to stay away from critically thinking because of these things that we're talking about. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think what happens too is we'll always do what we've been told. And many red thinkers really want to be told. They hope to be told. They expect to be given direction because that's what they've always done. If you wait for directions, you wait to be told, there's really not a lot of critically thinking you have to do. Right. So red thinkers have a tendency to just want to be told and wait to be told what to do. And it's interesting. The other thing that I find interesting about red thinking, and I've spent a lot of time in red thinking, as you have, and I think many of our listeners have, will not really have ethical boundaries. What I mean by that is because we don't have maybe guiding principles 
in our decision-making process, we oftentimes are moved in a direction that depends on the situation. So in one situation, we'll do one thing, another situation, we'll do another. And we kind of blow in the wind, I guess, is another way of saying it. We have red thinkers have a tendency to blow in the wind instead of having these boundaries that they are putting the rudder in the water and holding the course or staying within bounds. There's a lot of metaphors we can use to describe this, but it's basically just kind of letting everybody push us into the different directions because we just don't have that solid ground where we've critically thought what are our core beliefs, what are our core values, and what are our principles we intend to live by. So we just fall to the will of others. Yeah. You know, I think the evidence for me, when I hear these words, whether they come out of my mouth, they come out of my thinking, or whether I hear them from somebody else, these few words that start a sentence, whether it's my sentence, my thought, or what I hear from other people, Red thinkers will start their sentences with statements like, I should, I should do this, or I should go to this, or I should do that. And because they're saying I should, I'm saying, okay, who's shooting on you or making you feel that you should? And how, yeah. how much of that shooting is being allowed by you or wanted by you in this expression? of now of what you're going to do. So I should really is a red flag for me for the red thinker. And I find myself sometimes shooting on myself, but most often most people would say I should because they are meeting the expectation of another person. They're wanting to conform. I know I'm supposed to do this. Who says you're supposed to? You're supposed to because you're conforming to what other people are doing. Yeah, then you would say, I'm supposed to, or I know we need to. These are all prefaces that kind of tell me I'm being a red thinker right now. You know, I must do this. I have to go to this thing right now. Well, who said you have to go to this right now? Well, if you made an agreement, then yes, you need to keep your agreement and you have to do it. However, that's an agreement-based relationship, and I think that's okay. But recognizing that, is this something you're doing because you want to conform to the will of others? or it's doing it because you've been told to do it. And I'm not saying you should never do what you're told to do. I'm not saying you should ever not be conformed to the will of others. I'm just saying when you do that, just recognize that in fact you are red thinking. You may not be critically thinking it through when we use prefaces like I should, I need to, I have to, I must. Your thoughts? Yeah, there's a no turn on red sign in my neighborhood that I turn on red all the time because <laughs> I have critically thought it through why it's the stupidest no turn on red sign in the entire county. And I'm going to tell any police officer that pulls me over for turning there, bring it on, man. I will never not turn at that red light if, <laughs> if the traffic is clear. Write the ticket and maybe after a couple more tickets, I'll go to City Hall and say, hey, you need to take down or at least put a time frame on that no turn on red because it's stupid. So, yeah, but in other situations, I would just follow the rules and I conform. And it's tough. A little bit of rebellion can create some positive change, though, sometimes. Maybe we could 
Absolutely. That no turn on red sign taken down. You know, it's like following the shoulds of others just empowers or enables the shoulder. In other words, we're just emboldening our manipulators by not critically thinking. Yes. Yes, we are. That's a real pain in the rear. That's a real being stuck between a rock and a hard place because it's like, I want to identify my own beliefs and values and principles and live by those and stop enabling the manipulators. And yet, it's just so painful because a skilled manipulator, they create so much pain and anxiety in your life, it's not worth it. So you must conform. It's too bad. Yes, it is. And I would say it's a fatalistic feeling sometimes that you say it's just not worth it. And the reality, maybe it is worth it. And we got to get to a point where you'll say it is worth taking the ticket for the no turn on red. And it is worth going to fight City Hall. And I think one of the things we have to look at in our society, when are we going to step up and stop allowing the enablers, what I call the elites in our society, who think they know better than you, they want to tell you what you should do, they expect you to do what they say, they really play into this red thinking mentality that most people have. So there's a bunch of red thinkers out there in this society, and they know it, and they control and manipulate those people by telling them what they expect of them, telling them what they should do, telling them what they need to do. And it's that absence of critically thinking that allows us to fall prey to those people who try to do that to us, or not just try, successfully do that to us. And what I'm challenging the listener to consider is what can you do to break this pattern of control and manipulation, these opinions that are being thrown on you, these rules and expectations that you are being expected to conform to, and you just go along and conform just because it's easier to conform. And the risk and the danger we have in that from not only a personal standpoint, is that it's a very empty vessel when we just keep doing what everyone expects us to do. It's a very unfulfilling life when we do that. And additionally, it's not good for our social discourse and not good for our social fabric that we just keep going along with it. You know, you said last week in our conversation, Brian, that you love the dissenters. You love that, even if there's only 5% voice that goes up against the mainstream thoughts. You're curious, you wanna hear those 5%. You wanna hear what they have to say. And does it make sense to you to listen to their position as it goes up against the majority position? And I think when we start asking ourselves to evaluate both sides of that, whether it's 5% side or the 95% side, we then are starting to critically think. We're starting to analyze and evaluate. And in doing so, we can then make our own decisions about what we want. And that's really what I'm asking us to consider. Because blue thinkers will critically think things through. They will be self-directed. They will question their habitual ways. And they'll do things differently than the blue thinker does. And what I'm asking the reader and you to consider and have a conversation with me about is what does it take to shift from being a red thinker to a blue thinker? 
Do you have any immediate thoughts about that, Brian? Well, we may have gotten into this before, but we keep saying red and blue. So red and blue are like antithetical concepts, right? That's what you're trying to illustrate here. So what are some examples then of behaviors? Sure. A red thinker would be a conformist. The blue thinker would be, there'd be an authenticity to them. Okay. Why do you pick those colors? Well, colors work better than right and wrong. That's the primary reason. Oh. Let's put this up. One is better, one is not so good. So instead of using terms like not so good or better, I like using colors. And the, the reason I chose red is for me, the red means stop. It's a stop sign. It causes me to pause. It causes okay. me to reflect and say, okay, I'm being a conformist right now. Pause and say, is this who I want to be right now? And I can go ahead with being a conformist. And there's times that I do. And sometimes being married to my lovely wife, it's better to just conform. I'm not saying my readiness to conform is a bad decision or a bad behavior. So I don't like using good, bad, and that. I like using colors because in reality, we are all purple. We are all somewhere between, we're not totally red, or very few of us are totally blue. We're somewhere in the middle. Sometimes in our relationship with our wife, we're more red. Sometimes in a relationship with our coworkers, we're more blue. And sometimes in our friend relationships, depending on who the friend is, we might be more red and we might be more blue based on the personality styles that exist between the two. So it isn't so much it's right or wrong. When I taught these concepts, the students would say, well, that's wrong and this is right. Blue is right and red is wrong. No. There's no right or wrong. It just is. It just is. And the question you need to ask yourself, why is it? That's all. And then critically think it through and just decide which one you want to be. I am not embarrassed to be in red behavior when I'm around my wife when she wants me to do something that I really don't want to do. I don't get all tense about it. I'm just saying it's a time for me to just not be in control here and allow the control to be in another person's hands. So there's nothing wrong with it. It's just recognizing that that's what I'm doing and being okay with it. It's the blind person that's in red all the time that doesn't really realize it. Okay, see, that's exactly what I was kind of thinking here. It's fair to say then that the red is more synonymous with the unexamined way of life. Yes. And the blue is an examined life. Well, yeah, and I examine my life right now when it comes to my relationship with my wife, and sometimes it's better for me to stay red, and sometimes it's better for us to stay blue. And it's that dichotomy that goes back and forth that I think gives the flavor of life, the chocolate and the vanilla. It gives the contrast. It gives the excitement. It gives the joy. If everything in life was good, there would be no bad, because you don't know what bad is, because everything is good. So that leaves an emptiness for you. And when everything is good, then what is it really good? Or is it just normal? So we would stop using the word good, stop using the word bad, and just use the word normal. Well, what is a normal life? We just want to be normal? No, it's the dichotomy of the red side and the blue side that creates the spice of life. So I think it's important that we recognize both 
However, be able to laugh about it when we're being more red and be joyous when we're being more blue, but recognizing that we're always going back and forth. And in reality, we're purple. And sometimes we're more okay. on the red side and more on the blue side. Yeah, that's cool. I appreciate you clarifying that. As a Star yeah. Wars fan, when I think of red and blue, I think of the lightsaber colors in Star Wars. My mind is like, oh, that's good versus evil. But you're saying that it's not really. It's just like this is one way and this is a different way. Yes. Yeah. And we're talking about both sides of the dichotomy. And we're totally loving you and accepting you wherever you want to fall on that. But just recognize that you're falling on the continuum and deciding there's sometimes I want to be here and sometimes I'd rather be there. And then what steps I can take to be there is really what we're wanting people to think about as they critically think some of these concepts through. Because blue behavior, in contrast to the red behavior, is to be more self-directed. Mm. In other words... I think one of the things that happens when we conform, we're really conforming to the beliefs, values, and principles of another person, or we're conforming to the beliefs, values, and principles of our friend group or our parent group or our social group. They have beliefs, values, and principles because their behavior and what they say come out of their beliefs, values, and principles. All our behavior comes out of our core belief, values, and principles. If we're more others directed, we have a tendency to be more conforming. We have a tendency to go along. We have a tendency to just agree to agree and not rock the boat or whatever we might say. When we're self-directed, now we're operating out of our own core beliefs, core values, and core principles. Well, you say, well, where did I get my core beliefs from? Well, I got them from my mom, or I got them from my dad, or I got them from my school, I got them from my church. Okay, that's fine. That's great. But if you're just conforming to them, then you're still a conformist, even though you might see them as blue beliefs. So my feeling is, in order for a blue belief to be a true self-directed belief, you have to critically think it through and say, oh, I was taught this when I was a kid, and I really kind of thought it was just dogma. I was just thought it was being brainwashed. But you know, now that I'm a little older, you know, I see it now. This makes sense to me. And I now I understand why it's important that we're consistent. You know, one of the beliefs my mom and dad had was to be consistent. I was one of 12 children. And their rule of the house, if there was one rule that was absolutely locked down, was to be consistent, not change the rules from one person to the next person, because they'd constantly be changing the rules. So their survival mode was to be consistent, to treat all the kids the same every time and all the way through the process. And I always thought, as a kid growing up, I got mad at that. And I said, this is an exception. This is different than my brother. This is different than my sister. This is because of this, and this is because of that. And I'd be mad about it, you know? And I thought, this is just baloney. But as I got older and had kids of my own, I started to say, you know, this consistency thing makes a lot of sense to me. So, now I have a core belief about how important it is to be consistent. And I don't have that because my mom and dad had it and I just took it on as their dogma. I took it on because of my experiences in life and I critically thought it through because I really wanted to not do it, but I found how important it was to do it and to be consistent as I got older in life. So I think when we take on a belief 
of our family of origin or belief of the religious tenets of our church teachings, when we take those on and we start saying, oh, this works for me, and I like this one, then now I'm more self-directed, even though initially the tenet was given to me as, or I might have seen it as dogma at one time. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, it's like you take ownership of it, and so the conformity becomes authentic. You're conforming to something that you authentically agree with because you critically thought about it and took ownership of it. And you can't really have that ownership if you're just conforming. Correct. Exactly. So it moves from a red thinking to a blue thinking. And it's the same belief, but at one time in your life it was more of a red thing, and now it's more of a blue thing. This is why this dichotomy thing is so fascinating and so interesting if we just give ourselves a chance to step back and critically think about it for a bit. And I think that's one of the things we've lost touch in is to really step back and reevaluate those core beliefs that we have at a young person that we now take on new beliefs. You know, it's as simple as this, Brian. When I was a young boy, I was put in the remedial reading class in third grade. In other words, that means there were six people at a table in the back corner of the classroom that couldn't read. And everyone else during the reading session of the class, they did their project. The teacher had us probably coloring pictures in between the lines or doing something not reading. We were doing something else just to keep us out of the way. And that was so ridiculous. You know, I mean, I was labeled to be a non-reader, and so I was put into that position. So I believed that I wasn't very smart. And, of course, when I got to eighth grade, my counselor agreed with me. He called my parents and said, your son's not very smart. He can't take college prep classes. We're going to have to put him in some type of skill program, some vocational education, which was code at the time for shop you know, drafting, things of those things, because I was not smart enough to take college prep classes. So I could have easily taken on the belief that I was not smart enough to take on classes. But, you know, when I really started to critically think it through, as I got a little older, I said, you know, that's a bunch of baloney. I can critically think at a high level. And there's a lot of reasons I think I developed that skill. And I made some new decisions that went against the wisdom of my teachers and as I went to college, I was able to get into college in a special admission program for dumb people. And I got, I got in and I was on the dean's list first semester and got into dental school, graduate school in three years. And so I made a new decision. I took that core belief that I had that I wasn't smart because everyone else was telling me that. And I made a new decision. And all of a sudden, then I was able to achieve the things that I expected of myself. And I became more of a blue thinker because I critically thought it through. And I realized that I could think of things and do things that a lot of my peers who were, quote, the best, smartest kids in the class, I could think things through better than they could because they were just parroting everything that they were taught where I really thought it through and thought at a higher level. So when I went to college where critically thinking was appreciated more, I started to excel. And when I went to dental school, where critically thinking was really appreciated, because you can't be a dentist without being a good critical thinker, because every person you see is treated differently based on their needs and their diagnosis. It required that. So I was able to excel in that field. 
However, I was just a dumb third grader that was put in the remedial reading class and I wasn't allowed to take college prep classes. So, you know, it's amazing. And it's just a matter of just having a mindset that is different than what we've always been expected of us. So any thoughts about that? Well, that's a very liberating story. I mean, that's a very inspiring event. A lot of people need to hear that. We've talked about just taking on the beliefs of other people. The story that you tell yourself is not always, it's not fully written. There's more story to tell. And just because some person who you thought had authority or was an elite put that story in your head, it doesn't mean that you have to be stuck with it your whole life. And that's very freeing to discover that you're not the stupid person they labeled you to be. And I easily could have been that if I didn't begin to critically think that through. Like my dad said, Ray, you go out and cut this 100 acres of grass where we lived. And I had a big gang mower with seven big mowers on it, all tied together, towing it behind a tractor. And one time I wasn't paying attention as a young, brash 12 or 13-year-old. And I drove into the ditch at the end of the field and got it stuck. And I couldn't get it out because the moors hooked to it. And I went to Dad and said, Dad, I got stuck in a ditch. And he looked at me and he says, well, go go back and get unstuck. You got to figure it out. Now, Dad could have come over and rescued me and he just scolded me the whole way and helped me get out and said, don't do this, don't do that. And I'll be careful of this, be careful of that, like I hear so many parents do today. But he said, okay, well, how'd you do that? And I said, well, I wasn't paying attention. And I kind of, before I realized the ditch was there, I was in it. And he said, okay. Well, figure it out. Get it out. You got a lot of grass to cut, and it's going to be dark soon. So there I was. I went over and got another tractor with a front end loader. I got some chains. I'm picking up chains. I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to do this? I have to chain here, chain here. And I go there and get the other tractor, and I get the chains hooked up in the moor. I lift the moor up. I lift the moor off, and I take it off the trailer hitch and set it down. And I pulled the tractor out of the ditch all by myself, and I'm thinking, okay. I may be the dumbest kid in the class, and I may not be able to read. However, I was able to get that out of that situation. You know, it's amazing to me when I started to recognize that gave me so much confidence in my ability to solve problems that I said, there's no problem of teachers going to put it in front of me in college that I'm not going to be able to solve because I'm not going to give up. I'm going to figure it out. And my dad expected that of me. And that's the gift that allowed me to set aside what everyone else thought of me, that I was just a stupid remedial kid. So I think those situations in our life we need to reflect back on. And I could still believe to this day that I'm not smart enough to be educated. And if you have any beliefs like that yourself, go back and look at those situations again and recognize the beliefs that you took on because of that situation and reassess it reevaluate it, critically think it through, and then come up with a new decision. And go back and play that tape again and say, what would you do now if you were 13 years old with the knowledge you have now? That's what you need to do with your life right now and not get trapped by other people's thinking that keep you stuck and hold you in bondage. And that's what red thinkers do. They're held back because the prefaces that blue thinkers have in their mind is they get up every day and they say, I get to. They start their sentences, not with I should, or I have to, or I need to. They say, I get to. 
They start their sentences with, I will. They start their sentences with, I am. So there's a different mindset that is exposed in the prefaces that we use at the beginning of our thoughts and in the beginning of the words that fall off our lips. And just listen to those and pay attention and ask yourself, what will it take for me to stop saying, red stop sign, I should, I need to, I have to, to saying, I get to. I hear people say this all the time, I have to. And I look at him and I say, you have to? You know, is that really true? I'm looking for people who say, I get to. That's the kind of relationship I want to be in with people. So I rarely will do that to somebody else. I will really say, I have to. I always say, I get to, or I want to. And I think that mindset is so different. And that's what separates a critical thinker from someone who's not a critical thinker. Pretty heavy stuff there, Brian. I don't know what your thoughts are. Oh, this is getting heavy, Doc. Yeah, that is remarkable, really, when I think about it, all the layers that you're adding to this. You know, it really is like totally freedom. It's like a totally different thing. And I don't think you're selling some kind of ticket to happiness here. I don't think you're saying that, well, if you change your precepts and just say, today I get to, today I will, or today I am, you're not saying that that is, going to make you happy. You're just saying that that's a different approach. And in other words, the blue thinker has probably just as much suffering as any other blue thinker or any other red thinker. This isn't a ticket to happiness. This is just a different approach to life. Absolutely. It's a choice. And most people don't see the choice. They see them locked into a mindset as a red thinker, and they don't see that they have a choice. And that's the part I'm trying to break through that way of thinking and have you consider that there's a choice here. And it really stems back to your core beliefs. What are the deep beliefs inside of you that hold you back? And if you have a deep belief that the most important thing to you is the approval of others, if that's the most important thing to you, you're doomed. You're really doomed if you're going to be committed to that belief. And for me, the most important thing to me is my opinion of myself and the goal I have, the vision I have, the thing I want to accomplish. That's what's important to me, not to go and meet the approval of other people. But there's a lot of people who live their whole life with that being the most important belief they have. They have an approval addiction, and they want the approval of others. And you know what? They don't always get it. And they're very sad when they don't get it. Well, I'm never sad when I don't get the approval of others, because I don't depend on it. Thoughts? Well, again, how liberating, how freeing to be free from the opinions of others. I've heard you say, and I love this idiom, What other people think of me is none of my business. Yes. And I love that because it so is a perspective change on who is in charge of your life, who is in charge of your decision-making. Well, that's you. You're individually responsible, and you're in charge. And you said earlier that anybody who is living for the approval of others is doomed. And I assume you mean that they're doomed to live another person's life. And how often do people wake up one day and say, oh, my gosh, 
I spent the last 40 years living the life that my parents and my wife and children expected of me, not living the life that I want. And you're saying that the key to that door is to start examining your life, start critically thinking and change your precepts, change your attitude, look at your beliefs, run your thoughts through this taxonomy of awareness, application, and further critical thought. And you're going to find that you're now taking ownership of your thoughts, ownership of your choices. And you're not going to feel that disapproval from others like you did before. And that it's not going to sting. Right. You're going to just say, well, I guess I don't meet that person's standards. And hopefully yeah. we can get along in a different forum. But it doesn't bother me because I have made this decision. This is who I'm going to be. Again, it's not about happiness. It's about being yourself. You know, a lot of people say, just do what makes you happy. I don't think that's what you're getting at here, right? No, no. It's not about happiness. It's about thinking about your life and what beliefs are not serving you and how do you change your beliefs, change your precepts. So instead of saying, I can't do that, I am not good enough for that. I am not worthy of this person's love because of this thing in my past or this failure. There's always room for critical thinking and there's always room for redemption and recovery and transformation. But Absolutely. it starts with brain power. It starts with recognizing that your core belief will determine how you respond in every situation, period. So you can change your response by changing your core belief, going back and looking at the core belief that you've been operating under and say, is this true or untrue? And so many times you're operating out of an untrue belief. And it's critical that you stop and look at that because your responses that you have in your life depend on your core belief. And if your core belief is you need the approval of other people, your response is going to be reflective of getting the approval of other people. <laughs> I mean, there's just no other way around it. So it's like you just have to go back and say, okay, where did I get this core belief from? Why did it start? Why do I believe that? What belief could I take on that would cause me to have different responses? And what's the benefit of that? And I think that's a question that everyone can ask. And I think red thinkers have a tendency to gloss over that possibility, and blue thinkers start to reflect on that possibility. And what we're really asking you is to be a little more on the blue side of the purple and understand that. I think all of us, if we really think about it, and they reach deep into our thinking and how we feel about different things, one of the things we'd recognize is, you know, sometimes I'm pretty blue in my thinking, and sometimes I'm really red in my thinking. Well, take what you've learned about being the blue thinker and say, what is characteristic about this blue thinking in this environment and with this person? And then when I go with this person, I turn into this red thinker. And it's like, reflect on that and say, all right, what can I take from these moments of having critically thinking things through, being lifted up with blue thinking, and then go back and apply it to those red beliefs I have that could keep me stuck and hold me in bondage. So it's a heavy thought. You know, I make it sound like it's easy to do. 
and I make it sound like it'll happen overnight, and I don't mean to imply that. Sometimes it takes some thoughtful consideration and having conversations with wise counsel that's more of a blue thinker and have them pull you up by the bootstraps and encourage you to have a different mindset and show you what a different mindset might look like. And I think that's a great gift you could bring to yourself. Well, Brian, we got to close. Do you have any final thoughts? Oh, I have a lot of thoughts, but it's another great conversation. I look forward to continuing. Yeah, it's great. And I think this is a time for the listener to really reflect on some of these things. Listen to this again. And, you know, if you have any questions or concerns, send it to Ray at RayMcKinley.com. And we can certainly reflect on those at a future podcast. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you, Brian, for joining us for Ride the Elephant today. Dr. Ray McKinley is a speaker, author, and coach. In his new book, Ride the Elephant, The Journey to True Success, Dr. McKinley addresses the crisis in personal leadership and what you can do about it. Thank you for joining us today. Your feedback is important to us, and we'd like to hear from you. Email your comments and questions to ray at raymckinley.com. Join us next week for another informative podcast with Dr. Ray McKinley. Have a great week. 